Welcome to the weekly sermons and studies podcast at First Baptist. Today's speaker is our senior pastor, Dr. Jeff Reynolds. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we come before you, we confess, Jesus, that you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God, and we worship you. In your name alone is life everlasting. And for that, we are so deeply grateful. And so, Lord, on this Advent Sunday of love, as we turn to your word that we believe is unequivocally true, we pray that by your word and by your spirit, you would speak your love into our hearts, perhaps as never before, that we would be changed, that we would be more like Jesus, and that the world would experience your love more purely through us. We ask it trusting you in Jesus' name. Amen. God loves you. He willingly, actively, unconditionally, relentlessly loves you. I want to invite us to do something this morning. I want us to just take a moment to pause. Because if you're like me, Pause has not been a big part of your life lately. If you're like me, you've been preparing, you've been celebrating, you've been navigating, you've been making it to the gatherings, or you have been making things for the gatherings. Some of you in this room have put together entire ensemble, orchestra expressions for us to worship. Thank you. Worship through the season. Some of you are continuing to treat patients. Some of you are walking the journey of grief. Some of you are walking the journey of illness. I want us to just take a moment and pause. And I want us to hear that God loves us. He loves you. He really does. Our text for today will show us some of the ways that God illustrates his love for us. But I really want us to get this morning that the message of Christmas is really summarized in John 3:16. God so loved the world. And do you know who the world is? It's you. It's me. All of us. You say, "Well, I don't feel very lovable at times." You're not all the time. Neither am I. But he loves us nonetheless. He does. Now, is he pleased with all of our decisions? No. If you've ever been a parent, you know that love and not being pleased with every decision the one you love makes can live together. There have been times I've looked at my kids and say, I don't know where your brain has gone, but I want you to know that I love you. Nothing that you could do could make me stop loving you. I'm not pleased with this. I need to redirect you. Because I love you, I'm going to lead you in the the path of everlasting life, not in the path of destruction. For you have an enemy who's trying to steal from you, kill you, and destroy you. But I love you. I'm not going to quit loving you. And I'm going to be relentless in my love for you, and that's the same way that God loves us. Even when we try to run as far as we can get away from him, he still pursues us with his love. So I want you to hear this morning, God loves you. And then I want us to see from this text. We're going to John chapter 15. 
We're going to look at verses 12 through 17. If you're in the Red Pew Bible in front of you, that is page 902. We're going to see God display the ways in which He loves us. And so here's our theme for today. And the theme will carry forward into each of the points that we'll see from the text. But here's our theme. God so loves me that He sent His Son. God so loves me that He sent His Son. John. John calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. And do you know why I think John refers to himself in the third person as the disciple that Jesus loved? Because for three years of his life, John traveled with Jesus. And I am convinced that no matter who you are, if you get around Jesus long enough, you're going to begin to describe yourself as the disciple that Jesus loves. Because in Jesus Christ, there is no purer expression of perfect love ever given. Jesus is the pinnacle of love. He is the expression of God's everlasting love for us as he reveals God himself to us. So John called himself the disciple that Jesus loved. And listen, John messed up sometimes. Now, John wasn't always as brazen as Peter. John John wasn't always as brash as some of the others. But John also wasn't perfect. There was a moment when John wanted to call down fire and destroy people. So John wasn't perfect. And yet John's estimation of himself, having been with Jesus for three years, is that he is the disciple that Jesus loves. And I believe that if you'll get around Jesus, even though he's going to call you on your stuff. How many of you realize we all have stuff? And Jesus calls us on our stuff. And he doesn't lie to us about our stuff. And he doesn't say, well, 51% of the population voted to affirm this stuff, so it's all fine now. No, he tells us the truth about our stuff. But even when he does, we know he loves us. We know it's all motivated by love. So John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, writes, and he's recording the words of Jesus in John chapter 15, beginning with verse 12. Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Our first point today is this. God so loves me that he sent his son to lay down his life for me. God so loves me that he sent his son to lay down his life for me. God shows his love for us through the willing death of Jesus Christ on the cross. So you can't ever look at the manger and fully understand it without seeing it in the shadow of the cross. Our choir sang it to us the other night at the concert. We look to the manger, we look to the cross. They come together. Because God, before the foundations of the earth, in this intra-Trinitarian discussion, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, laid forth this plan. Jesus was not plan B. That this plan that that the second person of the Holy Trinity, God the Son, would come. He would be born in the womb of the Virgin Mary. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under law. Why did He do it? To redeem those who were under the law. And in order to redeem those who are under the law, this perfect Lamb of God had to die. For the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so you look to the manger, but you have to see when you look in the manger, the shadow of the cross, for they are connected. 
so when the angel proclaimed good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The angel was talking about a manger, but the angel was also talking about a cross. In Romans chapter 5, the apostle Paul says that while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, sometimes I talk to people, and they're particularly in in conversations about baptism. They feel like God is leading them to step into the waters to profess their faith in Jesus Christ and to let everybody know, Jesus is my Lord. I trust him. I follow him. But you know what we tend to get to? Well, I don't feel like I'm ready yet because I've got some things I got to get cleaned up in my life. And we have the same conversation. It's a conversation that I first heard from Steve Ayers, who was my pastor for years and years. He said, how many of you take time to clean up before you take a bath? So, so if I'm trusting in Christ alone for my salvation and for my sanctification and for this work of redemption in my life, why would I delay obedience to what he has very clearly called me to do so that I can get a little better first? Well, it doesn't work that way. No, stepping into obedience by following the Lord in baptism will make it easier to take the next step of obedience by following the Lord in whatever else it is. But so many people Just hold back. I got to get some things straightened out first. Well, you're still trusting in yourself to fix you. And you can't fix you. Haven't you proven that to yourself? You can't fix you. Only God can. So follow him in obedience and let him do the work. So God shows his love for us. Now, remember, Jesus willingly laid down his life. He said in John chapter 10, and this is very important. This is John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. For this reason, Jesus said, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Listen to this. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. And I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So when you look to the manger and see in it the shadow of the cross, don't feel sorry for Jesus. No, he did that on purpose. Why would Jesus lay down his life? Because greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus would express fully the love of God for you through the cross. God so loves you, he so loves me, that he sent his son to lay down his life for me. Verse 14. Jesus said, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Our second point. God so loves me that he sent his son to make me his friend. To make me his friend. This is very interesting. If you go back to the Old Testament, there were only two individuals who were referred to as the friend of God. Do you remember who they were? Abraham and Moses. I'll prove it to you. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 7, Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And then again in Isaiah 41, verse 8, But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, 
my friend. And then we hear in Exodus, Exodus 33, 11, that thus the Lord used to speak with Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And through Christ, God has made the way for us to be called his friend. You don't have to be one of the all-stars in Hebrews chapter 11, the great hall of faith. You can just be you and come to God through Christ. And you know what you'll be called? The friend of God. Because Jesus is the friend of sinners. Now, theologian Kevin DeYoung makes a good point. He says, Jesus was a friend of sinners not because he winked at sin, ignored sin, or enjoyed lighthearted revelry with those engaged in immorality. Jesus was a friend of sinners in that he came to save sinners and was very pleased to welcome sinners who were open to the gospel, sorry for their sins, and on their way to putting their faith in him. Jesus, friend of sinners. He's a friend because he made a way for us to come to God through him because he loves us. And then verse 15, watch, he, ex he extends this line of reasoning. He says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Our third point, God so loves me that he sent his son to reveal God to me to reveal God to me. Through Jesus, we behold our God. We do, in John chapter one, verse 14, you heard this read by the Morgan family this morning, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In Jesus, we have the, the perfect revelation of Almighty God. All that the Old Testament pointed us to, we have every promise finding its yes in Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 sums this up very well by saying, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Paul would write to the Colossians that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The Bible tells us in John 1.18 that no one had ever seen God. No one had ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. You know, there's something to be said for knowing people. Last night, my family and I were, were celebrating Christmas in one of the ways we like to do it perennially over at Skypack, watching Orchestra Kentucky under the conduction of Maestro Jeff Reed and watching several of our own folks in the choir and people in the orchestra that I know and love. And I'm sitting up there in the back row of the mezzanine, and I'm looking down and I'm thinking, I know them. I know them. And there's something to be said for knowing those people, right? Or every time I go to Diddle Arena, and I look up into the rafters and I see that name, Rasco, 
I know him. I look down upon that, that court and I see the name John Oldham. And I say, I knew him and I know his granddaughter. And I mean, there's something to be said. Or as I, I pull up a, a website looking for a physician and I see a bunch of familiar faces. I'm like, I know them. I know them. I know. There's something to be said about having that sort of intimate relationship to be friends. And God proves his love for us in that he sent his son to make us his friends. Only Abraham and Moses had been called friends of God. But now we're his friends if we're in Christ. That's amazing to me. Why? Why would he put us on the same level as somebody like Abraham and somebody like Moses? Here's why. Because he loves us. He really does. Now verse 16. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Our third point, or no, this is our fourth point. God so loves me that he sent his son to welcome me into his kingdom work. God so loves me that he sent his son to welcome me into his kingdom work. Do you know God has a job for you? And God has moved first through Christ to get to you because God has plans for you. And God has invested things in you, gifts and talents and abilities and resources. And he's given it to you for a reason, not just so you can have it, although he delights in the fact that you have it. But he's given it to you because if you're a follower of Christ, you've been called to ministry. I know, I know, I know. We have professionalized the ministry in the 20th and 21st century, okay? But that's not what God designed. Every Christian is called to ministry. Every Christian. I was watching Danny Oliver. I don't know, Danny, I don't know how many of these handbells you were playing, but it was a lot. I mean, you were up and down, look like, you know, MC Hammer going up and down. The and it was just so fun to watch all of this happen because I'm watching the gifts and talents and abilities that God has put in others and I'm watching it on display. You know what that does? It glorifies God. I watch our mayor lead our city with love. It doesn't matter who you are, our mayor's gonna love you. And he's gonna go and he's gonna be there when tornadoes strike or when trees are being lit or he's gonna, he's gonna he's, it's just, it's beautiful to watch. I mean, I, I could pick out all of you because you've been invested with gifts and talents and abilities and maybe it's coaching boys over at Bowling Green High School or, or whatever the case may be, God has given you gifts Maybe it's being incredible at Excel spreadsheets and helping organize the world. I mean, you know, so many, it's unbelievable what God has done. But let me tell you, he's given us all those things to call us into ministry. He really has. And so what do we do with those things? Well, we, we serve him. We glorify him. We shine the light of Christ so that he might be glorified. He welcomes us into his kingdom work. And then verse 17. Jesus said, these things I command you so that you will love one another. So the fifth and final point, God so loves me that he sent his son to show me how to love. He so loves me that he sent his son to show me how to love. In John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
John would say in 1 John chapter 4 that if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. God came to show us how to love. Now listen, I know, I know. Everybody and their mother is trying to redefine the word love right now. Let me tell you how God describes it, and let me just read to you how God describes it. This comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. John 15, 12, Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. How does he love us? Willfully, unconditionally, relentlessly. Does his love for us call him to affirm every decision we make? Unequivocally, no. Because if you're a parent and you are affirming every decision your child makes, you are ruining that child. I'll tell you for the rest of us. Sometimes love pronounces the word no. Sometimes love has to redirect. How many times have we been redirected by God? But God loves us relentlessly, willfully, unconditionally. Why? Because we're so lovable? No. Because he chose to. And so this Advent season, I want you to hear, not from Jeff, who cares what Jeff says, but from God's Word. God loves you. He calls you to come to Christ, to repent of your sin, to entrust your life to Jesus, to surrender to His Lordship so that you would trust Him enough to actually follow Him. He desires to welcome you into His arms, into His family, into heaven forevermore. To do that, you have to receive his love and respond to his love by coming to Christ, turning away from sin and turning to Christ. But as you do, you come into the presence of the one that if you're around him long enough, you'll start to describe yourself as the one whom Jesus loves. That's what happened to John. It's what happened to me. It's what will happen to you too. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time. We'd love to connect with you. Just email connect at firstbaptistbg.org or call 270-842-0331.